my message is on holiness, uh, called to be holy. And um, if you've known, if you've heard me speak before at Free People, you know that sometimes I like to start out with a poorly written joke. <laughs> and today is no different. <laughs> so there's a theme tonight. Um, and if you couldn't know, it's about holiness. And holiness is really just to be set apart, to be different, distinct. Um, and, it, and it denotes reverence. Um, so this is why the Spirit of God, he's denoted as the Holy Spirit. There's an aspect of God and his word and what he said. We call it the Holy Bible or the Holy Scriptures. Uh, in, in our culture, in our language, we use these terms to designate sacredness or apartness or set apart. We, you know, Holy Spirit, Holy Bible, Holy Cow. Not sure where that one came in. You know, I, I'm actually wondering if it was part of a, like a secret Hindu plot to get us to revere cows so that we don't eat them. But that did not work. <laughs> Obviously, it backfired because <laughs> that's not the case. Uh, it's probably more like a guy who had a really good burger and he was like, holy cow, um, which is probably what mackerels are about. I don't know what mackerels have to do with holiness either. <laughs> But it, he probably saw how the holy cow thing went. I'm like, well, they probably sold a lot of beef, and I'm not selling a lot of mackerel. So. And then he looked at his sales report, and after he called it holy, he's like, whoa, holy mackerel. <laughs> Guacamole, I don't understand that one. What's that about? I mean, I guess the only scenario which I can see that working is that it didn't turn brown after five minutes. Man, it's been 24 hours, and this guacamole is still green. That's holy guacamole. <laughs> the last one I'll talk about, I think, came from a very enthusiastic dermatologist. And he was like, what did I find? This is amazing. This is incredible. I've never seen anything like this before. This is the mole of all moles. <laughs> it is holy moly. I've got more, but my wife said, don't. <laughs> so I won't. Praise God for restraint. All right. I feel like I need to pray to cleanse that. We just had this holy moment, and I just went to guacamole. Um, so, <laughs> so thank you, Lord, for your for presence here. I just thank you, God, that you love us and that you are, you're visiting us. You are here with us. And I just ask that you would release your word. As I speak these words, I ask that you would release your word. And I ask that it would do whatever it is that you've assigned it to do. And I ask God for a grace. Um, a grace to minister your heart. And a grace for people to hear and to receive and to respond to what exactly you're doing. And honestly, there's going to be things that I'm speaking that have nothing to do with you, but God's actually going to work on your heart anyway. <laughs> so some of you, it might be totally unrelated, but God is doing something in this place. And so we just thank you and we welcome your presence, God. We thank you, God, for your goodness. We thank you, God, for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, called to be holy, um, I, I, 
I just want to let you know that I am not speaking to you. I'm speaking to me. Um, I'm not coming from a place of I am holy. <laughs> I'm, cold, I'm coming from a place of I need to understand holiness. And so this is what my message is about. It's not because I know it, but it's because God has shown me things, and I want to share things that I myself am learning, and I hope to share it with you. Um, so this is the message and what I'm going to unpack. It's not a condemnation, but it's an invitation. And so holiness is actually, when, when God calls us to be holiness, it's actually an invitation to himself. He wants us to enter in to where he's at. Um, so it's actually God's heart. Um, so, it, you know, what, is, what does holiness actually mean? What does holy mean? Uh, the Greek word is hagios. Um, and it means to be to set apart. There's, there's actually several meanings uh, throughout the word. And it's used in certain contexts. It's used to, to denote grounds, objects, um, speech, people, um, God, beings. Like there's a lot of contexts in which holiness is used in the word. And it's really to be set apart, to be sacred, distinct, um, other. Um, as, we, as we sang about uh, with that Revelation song, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That was taken from Revelation 4. And that, that is a picture of the throne room of heaven that uh, God showed John. And in heaven, there are four living creatures, um, and they're full of eyes, and they have six wings, and they are glorious in their own right. Um, if we actually saw one of these beings in real life, we would likely fall down. We would likely be overwhelmed. We would likely cover our eyes because of their glory, because of how, how majestic they are. And it's actually these creatures who are doing this to God. And, they're and in Isaiah, it says they cover, the wings cover their eyes. They cover their face. They can't even look at God. So these beings that would be so holy to us that we would likely revere and worship because there's, there's times and instances and circumstances in Scripture where there's an angel or a messenger from God revealed himself, and they thought it was God. And they fell at, they, they fell at the feet and said, they tried to worship them and said, no, 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 no. I'm not, you need to, I'm not who you need to worship. God is who you need to worship. But they were so glorious that they thought they were God. And I'm sure this is probably the start of many other religions, where a, where a spiritual being has revealed himself to a person, and they saw, whoa, I just encountered something so otherworldly, so glorious, so other, that I must worship this thing and, and actually obey what it says for me to do. Um, but it's actually the being that these creatures worship is God. And they can't even look upon him at, without crying out, holy, holy, holy. And holy, holy, holy is a denotion of, there's three. And in Hebrew, that typically means perfection. And so they're looking at perfection itself. And they're crying, holy, holy, holy. They can't help but cry, holy, holy, holy. Um, and these are, these are actually called the seraphim in the, in the book of Revelation, or actually in Isaiah. And they're the burning ones. They're burning. And they're crying out, holy, holy, holy. Um, so, this actually has to do with us. Like, what does this have to do with us? And when, at the beginning of this message, uh, when Aaron asked me to speak, um, he felt like he, he heard the word holiness and it's something for me to speak on, um, which was not my first pick. 
Um, <laughs> but I decided, okay, let's do that. Um, and so it's, it's a really cool thing that, well, let's just read the word because this is something that God calls us to. And it's for, and I'm, I keep asking the question, why? Why holiness? Because a lot of times we have an understanding of what it might be. Like, oh, stop doing something bad or stop sinning or stop or setting yourselves apart and, and doing good things. Like, but there actually is a very important why. And I want to kind of, I want, it, I want you to be captured with the why so that we start doing the what. Um, so let's look at 1 Peter uh, 1.13. It says this. So prepare your minds for action. And exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So, you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know better, any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do. Just as God who chose you is holy, for the scripture says, you must be holy because I am holy. That's, uh, that's not a small thing he asks of us. He asks, he's asking of something that's actually impossible to do in our own right. It actually requires him. Holiness is actually extended to us through the blood of Jesus. But to live it out requires him as well. Um. What I'm saying, this is not perfectionism, because I've read this through a perfectionist's lens before, and it's, it's condemning. It condemned me, um, because I, re- I, I looked at my faults and foibles and mistakes and sin and say, there's impossible, I can't do this. But I wasn't actually applying the gospel. I wasn't actually walking in grace. And so he doesn't call us to something we can't do. And so he calls us to holiness. And there's purposes to holiness. This right here, you must be holy. There is not a period here. It keeps going. Because I am holy. That's an invitation to know his holiness and to know him in that place. So one of the purposes um, of holiness uh, well, <laughs> I want to say happiness, but actually joy. Um, you may have heard it said um, by some very unhappy people. Uh, God doesn't want you. <laughs> God doesn't want you happy. He wants you holy. <laughs> That's quite the dichotomy. Like you get to pick one. <laughs> like, all right, I'm calling you to be ha- holy, but there's happiness here too. Be like, I am so sorry, God. <laughs> I'm so happy. Um, no, that's not how that works. <laughs> that's not how that works. Um, I believe that, you know, and, and usually when you talk about holiness, you start getting the kickback. <laughs> but what about my stuff that makes me happy? Um, like, <laughs> holiness is the entrance to joy. So, God wants you happy through his holiness. Through you deciding to be holy, he's going to actually do something in you. Um, 
Because, like, honestly, what is sin? Like, sin is a really horrible joy substitute. Um, it's not real. It's not true joy. It's like aspartame. It doesn't even taste like the real thing, and it gives you cancer. That's like sin. So, you know, the sin leads to death, and that's, that's what aspartame does, too. Um, <laughs> but, but God is the inventor of joy. He's actually really happy. If you've met Jesus, he would, I mean, like, I feel like a lot of our representations are very stoic Jesus, especially Aryan Jesus. It's, like, really stoic. Um, <laughs> that's the, the blonde-haired Jesus. Um, but, like, you make, in Psalm 1611, it says, you make known to me the paths of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Um, let's look at, look at John 15. I don't actually have it on the screen. But I just want to share with you real quick. Um, so I'm going to start in verse 8. No. Yes. So verse 7, 15, 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. But this, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now here's the kicker. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. How many of you have had the fullness of joy in sin? Like, I know whenever I partake of sin, it might be, a, it might be tempor temporal <laughs> joy, but then it's like a really bad feeling. It's like, what, did, what just happened? What did I just do? And then the guilt, the condemnation, the shame, and all the things that bring death is associated with sin. And it's like, this is a false substitute. This is not joy. This is not life. And it's deception to say that it is. And this is, this is part of the original sin as well. I mean, he tempted them with being like God. Um, and they said, oh, God's holding out on us. You know, God, oh, God didn't tell us everything. And so we must find out for ourselves and we must be like God himself. But they already had everything they needed. They were actually in enjoyment. They were in fellowship with God. Um, so, but Jesus wants to give us his joy, and he releases that through nearness. And we, we, we come to him in nearness through holiness. Um, Jesus, the oil of joy has been poured upon Jesus more than all of his companions. So he is, he is filled with joy. He's longing for us to know his joy. He's longing for us to know his life. So that I would say that joy and happiness is a fruit of holiness. And if, if you're not experiencing the pleasure and the joy of God in the midst of holiness, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> because you're focusing on the things you're giving up and not what you're attaining. 
Um, and I've made that mistake many times when fasting, where I made the fast about abstaining from the things I need to fast from, but I didn't actually focus on the Lord. And it was, it was horrible all around. <laughs> I didn't enjoy anything. <laughs> um, but without holiness, without holiness, you can't actually behold God. You can't see God for who he is. Um, Psalm 24 uh, says this, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has a clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and, the righteous, and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Matthew 5.8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Hebrews 12.14 says, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. What do you say about the kingdom? To see the kingdom, you must be born again. So you can't actually know God, you can't see God, you can't have true fellowship with God without holiness. He wants to be known. He wants to be heard. He wants you to be united with him. This is why he calls us to holiness. He wants us to share in his very nature. So let's look at Romans 8.29. It says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. That's amazing. So God, anyone who calls on his name, anyone who receives his salvation, anyone who accepts Jesus and says, God, I, you're my Lord, you're my Savior, you're predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Like already you have something on you and saying, I'm going to make you like my son. And there, there is a target on your back. It's like, I'm going to, you're going to be conformed to the image of my son. Because he doesn't want Jesus alone. He just wants Jesus to be the firstborn among many. So it's his intention and it's his heart to conform us to the image of his son, who is the express image of God. He wants to restore our dignity. We were made in the image of God. It's been marred. It's been twisted. It's been corrupted by sin and evil desires. And he wants to restore that. He wants to restore the fellowship and the union with God fully, not just because of sin, but because of the way we think and the way that we respond and the way that we relate to him. Because God can wash our sin, but we're still, we can still have trouble relating to God. Because we have these old mindsets and patterns and thoughts and habits that have not yet been yielded, that have not been yet sanctified. So God wants us to share in his glory. In 2 Thessalonians, it says this. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't he amazing? The gospel is the entrance into holiness. He's just getting started. But he wants to share it with us. 
He wants to share his glory. What kind of God does that? I want to, do, I want to share my glory with my people. He doesn't hoard it. He said, it's all mine. As if he has a limited supply. <laughs> like if you like, fail to give him glory, he's like, oh, there's a deficit somewhere. Where'd it go? There it is. No. Um, that was a weird joke. Anyway, <laughs> this is, he, he's a, he is zealously generous. For God so loved, he gave. This is who he is. This is how he delights. And that people will come to know him and be with him and be like him. Um, so because the gospel is the entrance into holiness, he assigns us holiness when we come to faith. It's amazing. Um, and, you know, this is a three-stage, three you know, they typically say it's like a three-stage thing, like uh, salvation. You know, you, you were saved, you're being saved, and you will be saved. Um, the theological terms for that would be justification. You've been justified. You've been washed. You've been redeemed. Uh, you're sanctified. Sanctification, the process by which you become holy. And then glorification, when it's all done at the end. Um, which is also parallels what we just sang about, the God who was, the God who is, and the God who is to come. So he is the Lord of our past, of our present, and our future. Um, and the way that he calls us and sanctifies us is, is part of that. So the process of becoming holy in this life, in this present time, in this age, is the application of the gospel. So you were saved, and you're called to his holiness, you're called to him, you're called to fellowship. Now walk that out. Now live that. Now know that. That is the gospel applied. And so the, gospel, the holiness is just the application of the gospel. And why? Like, he, why would he do that? Again, because he wants to, be, he wants to share. He wants to fellowship with you. I mean, he wants you to get on his track. How many of you have friends that they don't like doing something you like, and then you do that with them, and they don't like it, and it's not fun? <laughs> and, but they just did it because they're your friend. And how, how different is it when you have a friend who really enjoys what you enjoy, and you do it together? And I'm happy if you have friends like that. Um, but that's like God. God's like, I am holy. I want some friends with me in my holiness. I want to be with you. I want you to be with me. I want you to feel what I feel. I want you to know what I know. I want to share things with you. And he's longing to share this with us. In Second Peter, it says this. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. He's called us to be partakers. Partake with me, sup with me, eat with me. 
but it's through holiness that we do that. Because we were made to reflect God. We were made to shine Jesus. We were made to exude God. But things get in the way, as you may know. Um, sin gets in the way. It, it masks us from our created purpose. It's almost like when you have headlights that have too much dirt on it, and it just doesn't go very far. It's light that it just it doesn't shine out very well. And we need cleansing. It needs washed. It needs, the gunk needs removed. And it can't actually fulfill its created purpose unless the gunk is removed. And this is what he does with sin, but also this is what he does with our, our mindsets, our attitudes, our thoughts, our patterns, our habits. Um, it's somewhat like, you guys remember, uh, well, back in, back in my day, they had these vending machines that you put a quarter in and you get a toy. I don't know if they do that anymore. I don't see them very much. But oftentimes, in those vending machines, there would be a sticky hand. And it, it would be about a foot long. And then you can whap it and then grab paper or grab whatever. But over time, that thing gets really gunky. Yeah. And it loses its stickiness. And just like, but, and it, it actually hindered its created purpose. Obviously, this is a hand, and it's sticky, and it's meant to stick on things. Um, but because of the buildup and the dirt and the accumulation, it could no longer fulfill its function. Did it stop being a hand that sticks things? No. But it did hinder and impair its function. Just like, oh, I've sinned. Does that mean I'm out of the kingdom? No. You're part of the kingdom. You just got some gunk that needs washed, that needs renewed, that needs cleansed. Um, because we have divided hearts. Um, and God hates sin because it distorts your image. It's like people are made in the image of God, but then distortion of sin corrupts that. And it makes people think they're not who they are, who God created them to be. And they're deceived, and they're stuck in sin. And they're entangled with all sorts of different things. Um, and so it, it hinders fellowship with God. It's like, I, have you, <laughs> it's, it, it's like, it's really difficult to be, like, it's almost like you're out of, out of place. So, like, if you go to a black tie affair and you have sweat, <laughs> you have, G, you have um, sweats on and a tank top, like, would you feel out of place? Like, that would be like, I feel really out of place. And, you know, when you have a consciousness of sin in your life and you meet a holy God, that's what you experience. I feel very out of place. And the, even the consciousness of sin makes you feel, I, we're completely different categories, different, and I can't fellowship with God. And it's very difficult. It also hinders our fellowship with one another. As, as we'll see, we'll go through some scriptures later, but talking about sin and the effects on other people. How, do you, how many know that your sin affects other people? How many of you know the sin of gossip affects other people? A lot. Uh, Self-hatred actually affects other people. Rejection. How many people do you know who deal with rejection and they bemoan the fact that no one likes them but they push everyone else away. They push everyone away. 
And so they're dealing with rejection, but they're also self-rejecting. And so it's like a fulfilling prophecy. Like if you try to get near, they'll do something, and they'll, it's almost like in their mind they're hijacking the process in order to control the process before they're actually rejected. So like before you reject me, I'm just going to close off my heart and just reject you first. Ha, 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 ha. Why does everyone hate me? No one hates you. You just you stiff arm everybody who comes near you. But that's sin that affects other people. And God doesn't like sin because it interferes with people he loves. And it, it breaks fellowship with him, and it breaks fellowship with others. And what are the first two commandments? What are the greatest commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's like these two paradigms are really out of sorts when you have that consciousness of sin. And, and even if God does a purifying work, but if you're still in those mindsets and patterns, because you're, you're not thinking in holiness, you're not walking in holiness, you're not adopting holiness, it's hindering you. Um, so he, <laughs> there's a purpose behind it. And because... It requires us to know God. Holiness requires us to, I mean, because we're required to know God, and it's through holiness that we do that, it's really helpful for us to live our created function from that place, but we can't fulfill the things of God once on our lives unless we adopt this mindset because he wants to reveal himself to the world through us. So if our, if our fellowship is hindered, with him, and our fellowship was with him with others, then we can't live out what he's called us to live out. And we can't do that um, because of these distortions. Um, so I, I want to speak a little bit about the unity thing because um, he's really wanting us to be a part of what he's doing. He really wants us to come near. And we're actually limited by a divided heart if we're not pursuing holiness. Because there are other things that are vying for our attention and our fellowship. And so in this cosmic universe, there's not just one divine being. There, there is, a, a, you know, we, we know in Ephesians 6 it says... Um, that, our, that our fight, our, power, our war is not against flesh and blood, against other people. It's actually against the principalities and the authorities and this, those dark spiritual forces in this present age. It's, it's in this world. And so there's things that we do, giving in to the temptation, giving in to sin, that are actually fellowshipping with demons. And because we're fellowshipping with demons... It's really hard to fellowship with God in a true way. You, there's, I mean, you can, you can compartmentalize to a degree. There's an aspect where you are relating to him, but all these other areas, you can't. And so, but God is a jealous God, and he wants you for himself. And he didn't die on the cross so that he can have part of you. So he gave himself up so that he can have all of you. And he... It's like, I want to get what I paid for. And that, like, he's zealously longing for our fellowship. Um, 
And it, it's an amazing thing, but we can get entangled with the world systems. We can get entangled with these spiritual forces. We can get entangled through them through our own sinful desires. And, and then we're all bound up. And we don't wonder, why can't I hear God? It's like, well, there's some things in your, in your life that are really blocking your ability to hear, to ability to fellowship, ability to, to relate to one another. Um, and holiness, the call to holiness is to say, hey, it's, the call to holiness is a call to freedom. Like, that's, like, it's, it's not about what you're giving up. It's about, hey, this is actually freedom, and it's my entrance into joy in life and fellowship with God, who, apart from him, I can do nothing. <laughs> so, it's amazing. And I'm not, not just, it's not just important individually, but there's a corporate dynamic to holiness. Um, in Second Peter, or in First Peter, it says this, so put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for this pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. It goes on to say in verse 9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's chosen people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. So there's a corporate dynamic. He's not just calling us out individually. He's calling us out corporately. And I, w- I just want to speak to the role of free people um, because this is what God's doing here. He's actually calling us to a higher level. He wants us to get to a whole nother level. Horrible. Um, and, but to do that, there actually has to be a pursuit of holiness. And it's like, and for us to see God, we have to be holy. So we can pray all we want. Come visit us, Lord. Come, come, come. Come have your way. Do all these things. But if, we're, if the jar is full of something else, we can only get this much. So what we're, what, what, you know, what we're doing as a church is actually pursuing God for who he is. And, and you know, we'll get to this later, but it's an aspect of beholding the Lord and letting him do the work. <laughs> because that's really the call to holiness. The call to holiness is a call to himself. And, and we're to be ambassadors of reconciliation holding not the trespasses of the world against them, but, in saying, but instead say, you are loved by God. Like, if we're ambassadors, if we're representing the kingdom of God, if we know God, and if we're, we're citizens of a different kingdom, it's like, hey, I'm a representative of who God is on this earth. And, but w- what happens if an ambassador 
starts over-sympathizing with the country he's visiting in. And all of a sudden, he's not representing his king's interests. He's compromised. And he starts representing the interests of the kingdom he's part of. And all of a sudden, it's, he's subverting the kingdom's role that he's coming from. And he's in this kingdom, and he's starting to get taken over and captured and compromised. And in that place of compromise, he can't actually do his job. He can't actually represent his king or his kingdom because he has divided interests. Because his interests are divided. And that's what sin does. It divides his interests. And so holiness is a pursuit of an undivided interest. Um, so we, we have an assignment at Free People. And I, there's been so many things spoken over... Uh, since I've been a part of this church, I feel like there's, there's things that God has definitely been always a part of. And, but the thing, the, the glory that he actually wants to reveal to us, he wants to make us ready for. And it's his kindness that, that he makes us ready. Um, because I've seen places or times or seasons where there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and people were not ready. And they were not prepared. And it did not last, and it was not sustained, and it did not fulfill its purpose that God had for it to do. Because there was still so much stuff in man, in that place. And so I, <laughs> I would rather God stay his hand before he releases himself until we're ready. I don't want to be unready. But now is the time to get ready. So this is what this message is about. Get ready. Jesus is coming. The king is coming, and we have a part to play. And, and he's calling up regiments for battle. And I don't want to be slumped over in a bar. Nursing a hangover while I'm trying to get my clothes on and trying to go out there. And they're already left. And the battle's already happened. Because I, my interests were divided. And so he doesn't, want, <laughs> he doesn't want our interests divided. And this is his call to holiness. And, whew. yeah, so this is not your work, though. This is not our work. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. Our involvement, well, let me say that. So God gave his spirit to us. Notice this, this is not the defiling spirit. It's not the negative spirit. It's not even the regular spirit. It is the holy spirit. This is God himself. And he gives us himself. And he actually puts the spirit of holiness on the inside of us to make us holy. It's actually God who does it. So in partnership with our yieldedness and our obedience, he does the work. So he's the one who sanctifies. He's the one who purifies. He's the one who justifies. He's the one who glorifies. He's the one who does these things. But he wants our agreement. He wants our surrender. He wants our will. 
and saying, I'm going to partner with your will to do these things. Because the Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us into all truth. And this is, this is how he... This is how he gets us. And so because the Holy Spirit is on the inside of us, he's purifying us. Um, this is why it says in Galatians 5. I'm just going to read through these really quickly. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what is your sinful nature craves. The ESP renders it, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So this isn't a fault-finding mission of how I can do better in my own strength. This is a pursuit of God and letting him take care of the things that you can't. So walk by the spirit. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It is not the opposite. I've, I've tricked myself into thinking it's the opposite. Well, if I don't gratify the desires of the flesh, that means I'm walking in the spirit. That means I'm doing what God wants, right? No. Walk by the spirit. Pursue the things of the spirit. And you won't gratify these things. You... <laughs> It's, it's basically you're switching faucets. <laughs> like, he doesn't want the sin faucet going into you, and it's not, a, it's not a matter of unplugging the sin faucet and be like, well, there's still a lot of sin in here. It's like being connected to him. And it's like, oh, the Holy Spirit faucet. This is way better. It's cleansing me. This is awesome. I'm going to stay with this one. Um, <laughs> that's a weird analogy. Anyway, the sinful nature wants <laughs> to do evil which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. This is a divided heart. This is going back and forth. I want to do this. I want to do this. this is Paul in Romans 6. But when you are directed by the Romans 7. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you're not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual morality, basically any sexual activity outside of heterosexual marriage, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. That's a, quite the list there. Um, and if you, could, if you could tell, all of these things hinder our interaction with God and others. Every one of them. Even, even the impurity, lustful pleasures, it's denigration to other people. So there's outright, explicit wrongs done against others and God and implicit wrong things done against others and God. So let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I know so, like a lot of people take that as salvation, but if you take it as a present context... You won't even see the kings of the kingdom in your life. This is a present reality. You won't even see the kingdom of God. Because what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is of peace, righteousness, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And you will not experience those things if you're actually operating in these places. So let's move on. It says, but the Holy Spirit produces the kind of fruit in your lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these, these things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of the sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. 
Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. This, this is a clear call to walk in the things of the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to follow his leadership and guidance. And the cool thing is the cross made a way for you to do that. What you couldn't do before, now you can do by the blood, by the blood of Jesus, and reckoning yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So the gospel is the entrance into the things of the Spirit that can produce these things as we yield to him and as we submit ourselves to him. It's reiterated in Romans 8. It says, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Praise God. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. <laughs> who did not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. It goes on. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. Did you hear that? You're not obliged to do that anymore. You don't have to. It's a deception to think you are. And if you really are, and if you feel that way, there's probably strongholds that you need to actually apply the gospel to <laughs> and actually get delivered from because deliverance is just the gospel applied for if you live by its dictates you will die and we know that we know that but if through this power of the spirit praise god you put the death the deeds of the, your sinful nature you will live this is abundant life this is joy you're going to live for all who are led by the spirit of god are children of god Next, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom require Abba Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and have children and heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. He calls us to himself. He wants to share it. He wants to share himself and his glory. And he's made a way to do that. And we have to yield and respond to him in that way. In Colossians, it says this. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. This is our admonition. There where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above. This is what holiness looks like. Not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you have nothing to do with sexual morality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still a part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature, and it's all its wicked deeds." Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. 
And in this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be the holy people who he loves you, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentle, and patience. Another fruit of holiness is love. You will love because God loves. And we love because he first loved us. But how can we know his love if we can't see him? Because we're not pursuing holiness. <laughs> and so, um, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So, we just, we just listed a bunch of sins. <laughs> and we also listed the response to such sins. To put on Christ. To make no provision for the flesh. Um, to walk by the Spirit, to put on the new man and put off the old. And so one of the ways that we do that in response to realizing what God is doing is confession. In 1 John 1, it says this, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him when we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. This is the way that we clean the windshield <laughs> to see God. And to experience him in his fullness and in fellowship. And confessing our sins, confession is just really just telling the truth. Like, it's okay to be honest with God. Like, you, I, believe, I did that because I believe that you won't provide for me, God. I sinned because I don't think that you have joy for me. That's confession. It's, it's not only confession your sin, but it's even confessing motives. Um, because when a criminal writes down a confession, they don't say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. They write out what they did. And they get it off their chest. And as soon as you release that to the Lord, he can take care of it. But if you're holding on to it, saying, ah, man, I really feel bad about my sin. Well, just going to carry my sins some more. No. <laughs> it's actually turning to him. And it's actually giving him that place, giving him that sin. And so he doesn't want your self-effort, and he doesn't want you, um, he wants your surrender. He's, he doesn't want you to clean yourself up. We can't change our own dirty diapers. Well, that depends. No, no, oh gosh. Back on holiness, back on holiness. Um, <laughs> sorry. All right, time for an impassioned speech about holiness. Um, no, I, when you confess your sin to God, it gives him the opportunity to wash you clean. And when, when Jesus was washing the disciples' feet, Peter says, no, 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 because there was unworthiness on Peter. And God says, unless I wash your feet, you have no part with me. So God wants to wash you. And unless he does, you have no hope. You have no hope to get rid of sin. 
So it's his work and your agreement. Um, now, I just want to switch gears here and just say one of the best initiators for responding to the holiness of God and letting him do that work is actually beholding God himself and letting him do that work. Uh, we see this in Isaiah 6. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongues from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. So Isaiah had an encounter with the king. And he was so undone that he realized his sinfulness, that he realized how unclean his lips have been, how unclean his people's lips have been, the sin. And it wasn't a fault-finding mission on Isaiah's part. It was just beholding God. And he saw him in his splendor. He saw him in his holiness and realized, oh, this is where I'm at. But God doesn't leave him there. God makes a way for him to be purified and cleansed. And I, I, I think it's really interesting, like, that Isaiah said that he is a man of unclean lips, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. And I think it's really interesting, too, that when the Holy Spirit's poured out in Pentecost, there's tongues of fire. And he's purifying speech. And when you speak in tongues, it's a pure speech. It is not unclean lips. So this is an effective weapon of our warfare to, to release the pure speech of God. And so this is our response to God because it's the Holy Spirit's language. And it's holy. It's holy language. Um, so I'm just going to invite the band to come up. And we're just going to close out here. And I, I want to leave you with this verse um, in Second Corinthians. But when one turns to the Lord, so this is what we're going to do. We're going to turn to the Lord. We're going to behold him. The veil is removed. Now the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is holiness. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, as we behold him in his glory, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So what am I going to ask while we're playing? I don't want you to focus on how holy you're going to be. I don't want you to focus on the things that, if the Lord highlights something, confess it, give it to him, 
let him wash you, let him cleanse you. But I want to take this time to focus on what God has. I want you to take this time to actually gaze at the Lord. And as we sing these songs, I want you to behold the glory of God and let his holiness do a work of transformation in you. Because as we behold him, we become like him. And so he's the one who gives us sight to see him. And without holiness, no one can see God. So God in his graciousness gives us holiness to see him so that we can see him more, so that he can purify us, so that he can wash away our stain and our sin and our guilt and our shame. And so if, you, if you're dealing with that and you can't get rid of it, just give it to him and behold him because he wants to give you life. He wants to give you joy. He wants to give you very most of all the precious fellowship of God. And so he is in this place. As you've experienced, he's already moved. But I want you to respond to the call of holiness in his invitation. That he is inviting us, come up here, come up here, come up here. I want to show you what you're, what you're giving up for. What you're pursuing for because he wants to capture you with such a vision that nothing else matters. And so all of a sudden, that thing that you think you couldn't get released or, or let go of, it's nothing in comparison with seeing him and knowing him. So Lord, I just pray that you would give your people a vision for who you are. I ask God right now that you would open up And then I just speak to all numbness, all veils, shrouds, all things that are coming against and hindering people from seeing. I pray that you would dismantle those things, all interference, all condemnation. Lord, we're, we're going to behold you. And even if we find out that we're on unclean lips, you, you come and take the coal and you put it on our lips and you transform us. So we just praise you, God. We thank you. I ask that you would open, open our hearts, God, as we look to you. We praise you and thank you, God, for holiness and the call to holiness. In Jesus' name.